0: The following is a sermon podcast from White Ridge Baptist Church.
1: Good morning, White Ridge Baptist Church. I bring greetings on behalf of the Board of Church Governance. My name is Dave Barton, and I serve on that board. And I'm also here to report on the congregational meeting that we held a couple of weeks ago on the evening of December 6th. We held that meeting on Zoom, which was very interesting, the first time I think we've done that. Uh, It seemed to go very well. And during that meeting, we welcomed four new members to White Ridge Baptist Church, and they are Betty Schultz, Elaine Lyons, Kevin and Lisa Welk, so welcome. We also uh, voted Sean Major as a deacon, and we elected Janine Carmichael as the new church clerk. Janine will take over in January from Shelley Cumming who has done that job for the last six years. So on behalf of the board and the congregation, Shelley, thank you so much for your faithful service these past six years on the board. Also at that meeting, we approved our 2021 budget. So if you haven't seen that, we emailed it out a few weeks ago uh, before the meeting, but if you don't have that and would like a copy of it, please contact the church office. I'm sure we'll be able to provide you a copy of the approved budget for 2021. Our next congregational meeting will be on January the 31st. And the primary aim of that meeting will be to deliver our annual reports on behalf of the board and the staff. So there'll be more details to follow on that in January. It will be on zoom again. So for those who attended the zoom meeting earlier this month, if you have suggestions, how we could do things better, please let me know, uh, or contact the church office and let the staff know. And if you did not attend that meeting in December, you don't wanna miss this one. Uh, These are special occasions where we gather as the members of White Ridge Baptist Church and discuss uh, the business of the church. And this is a special one where we're talking about the annual report for a very special year. So please don't miss that. There'll be more details coming in the new year on how to sign up and connect for that. And finally, on behalf of the board, I want to wish everyone watching A very Merry Christmas, be safe, be healthy, and we'll see you in the new year. Thank you.
2: When I grew up, Christmas Eve was a pretty big deal. My family, aunts, uncles, and cousins would all gather at my grandparents' house after the Christmas Eve service for a very late night of food, games, and gifts for each other. One thing that was always true, if you had nowhere to be on Christmas Eve, you were always invited to spend it with us. There was always people I didn't know over that night. It was normal and almost strange when there wasn't anybody new. When the generation moved forward, my my parents had the same standing order. My mom would buy extra gifts each year to cover anyone who may show up so they would feel included in what we were doing. Friends from the community, travelers, schoolmates, and work colleagues, everyone was welcome. I kind of thought this was a unique tradition of ours, and then I got to know the White family.
3: Well, in my later teen years, I remember my family doing the same thing. Unfortunately, I'm ashamed to admit that I sometimes struggled when I heard my parents say that they were inviting someone new over for Christmas Eve. My heart was selfish, as I can honestly admit that I didn't always want to share my family time with others. Despite my misgivings, God always demonstrated that showing His love to others always placed extreme joy in my heart, but this was still a struggle for me year after year. I'm not sure if my parents really knew the true state of my heart during these occasions, but God did, and I sure knew it was wrong. God needed my heart to soften in this regard and to have increased sensitivity to others. And he did this by allowing me to truly experience what it means to feel alone. The type of alone where you can be amongst a crowd of people at a mall, a gym, or maybe even a church service, where you see people all around you talking, sharing, laughing, but you feel non-existent. You feel empty and alone. Well, I was a student out of province and I did experience this kind of sadness. And this experience that I truly believe God allowed me to feel has given me eyes to see others in a similar situation and to hopefully keep them from experiencing the same sadness during the holidays, especially when everyone around is celebrating with family and friends, exchanging gifts, playing games, and making memories. Well, the years I spent working in a university setting has connected me with many international students, now my friends, as they come to Canada to study. It has been the privilege of my family, my kids, and each of our parents to host students from various locations around the world, to hear about their holiday traditions, the various religious aspects they believe about Christmas, to share the miracle of Jesus' birth at Christmas that my mom always reads to our family, to pray in a time of fellowship together, to share a meal, and just hang out, and of course play games. So praise God that there are so many around us that we can love and share his love with, And I am so blessed to be a part of a family where this servant heart has been demonstrated and continues to be demonstrated time and again to those around us that are alone. In Matthew 25, 35, it says, I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. And a few verses later, it says, truly, I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of my brethren, you did it to me.
2: It may seem strange and almost cruel to bring up these stories in such a time as this, but we believe God doesn't waste opportunities. This unique year will have unique opportunities if we are watching and we're willing.
4: Merry Merry Christmas, Christmas, everyone. everyone. We've just sung Jesus the love song of God and there might be some of you right now that haven't thought of him that way but need to for God loved the world and so he sent his son Jesus that whoever believes in him can have everlasting life life with God forever and ever and i invite you to maybe considering to consider this a starting point this christmas this truth that god loves you god likes you and you might not you might struggle to believe that you might struggle to believe that the Lord of all the universe loves you personally. But scripture tells us that he does. And right now I'm telling you that he does. Before we listen to a video of the Adels sharing about Christmas Eve and about welcoming strangers, welcoming people into their home. And I want to say that our Lord Jesus is a welcoming savior. He's inviting. He's not wanting to condemn. He's wanting to invite. And so if you don't know Jesus, just consider that he came to this world so that you could know him and that he wants you to know him and enjoy him, to know how much you love him. And he invites us who are in Christ to be welcoming as well, that others would come to know him through us. May we be beacons of that this Christmas. Because all of this is for him. All of this is for him. And may many, many come to know the joy that can be known and not miss out. Praise God. For all those things that are true. Hi, we're the tailors, and we have the privilege of reading John 17, 1-5, and 20-26. After Jesus said this, he looked toward heaven and prayed, Father, the time has come. Glorify your Son, that your Son may glorify you. For you have granted him authority over all people, that he might give eternal life to all those you have given him. Now this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I have brought you glory on earth by completing the work you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began.
3: And verse 20 to 26.
1: My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one father just as you are in me and I am in you may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me I have given them the glory that you gave me and they may be one as we are one I in them and you in me may they be brought to complete unity to let the world know that you sent me and have loved them even as you've loved me father I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory
0: Colin and Sheila for reading the scripture to us this morning. My name is Terry Jank. I'm one of the pastors at White Ridge Baptist Church, and I have the privilege of sharing the message this morning. I just was blessed last week when the children's ministry uh, shared their program, even though it was uh, short and it it was virtual. uh, It was a blessing to us and a reminder of the Christmas story, but also a reminder of all the little ones that we have in our church family and how much we miss them, uh, seeing them run around. And uh, I was also thinking of Grace Elke, our former Children's Ministry Director, uh, who would have just commended Sheila for the job she did. And uh, as Kevin shared, would you be praying for uh, Grace and Willie during these difficult days uh, ahead? Thinking about children, I read recently that a statistic that said 89% of adults will be parents one day. And it made me uh, think of uh, this study that was done. I had looked it up and uh, there are five reasons why people begin to attend church. <clears throat> and raising children is one of them. And I thought for those of you who are new to our church family, uh, we have been discovering that some of you have been discovering us online. And I thought I would just mention these five uh, reasons. And I uh, The first one is exploring faith. Uh, The study said that contrary to what many people would think, people are not looking for a pop psychology kind of experience in church. They are looking for true answers from the ancient text of Holy Scripture that relate to the relevance of today and how they live. And so exploring faith is a very big reason why Some people begin to attend church, and I want to just uh, use that moment to remind you that in two weeks from today, the first Sunday of 2021, we will be beginning an exploration of the Christian message in the book of Romans, and uh, we're looking forward to having an extended study in understanding the Christian gospel, the good news of Jesus. The second reason why many people begin to attend church is raising their children, and that's what I mentioned earlier. Pa- parents wrestle with how to do it right. Parents wrestle with uh, having never having done that before. Um, they wrestle with knowing how to do it right and, and recognizing that they cannot lead a child where they themselves have not gone. And so they, they come back to church to reconnect and to grow their own faith so that they can lead their children Um, A third reason is the healing of wounds. We read in this same study that people come to God in times of personal crisis, loss, transition. And um, the the study said that churches need to be ready to help people with three things. Their habits, their hurts, and their (laughs) hang-ups. And so sometimes people come to church because they're uh, figuring out how to deal with wounds in their lives. A fourth reason is to improve themselves. This is what was identified. They want to become better. They interact with the world better, become more kind, more gentle, make a difference in the lives of those around them. The study concluded that churches need to find a way to get people out of their seats and into the streets. And indeed, um, improving ourselves is a reason why some people come to church, to begin to come to church. And then finally, expanding friendships. Let me quote the article directly. People are experiencing loneliness at epidemic levels. More than twice as many people self-identify as lonely than a generation ago. More people are prone to lie awake at night and wonder if they have any true connections or community And so a fifth reason that is given for attending or beginning to attend church is loneliness, finding friendships. Well, one of the, of course, the ironies of the digital age is that we have increased connections in our lives while at the same time decreasing the quality of intimate friendships. Social media companies are some of the most rich companies in the history of humanity, and they became that way by constantly asking the question, how much of your life can we get you to give to us? That's what social media companies are really built on. How much of your life can we get you to give to us? This comes from a Netflix documentary recently released called The Social Dilemma. Remember that the technology that connects us, it also controls us if we allow it to. And, I, and I, when I was listening to this and thinking about it, I, I think that the Lord Jesus asks the same question. The Lord Jesus asks the question, how much of your life can I get you to give to me, to trust me with? That's what really the Christian life is all about. That's what faith is all about. I think that's a big reason why God wants you to be part of a local church more than maybe the reasons that you have to be part of a local church. God asks, how much of yourself will you put in my hands, trust me with, and live by faith? Well, I believe God wants all Christians to be a part of a local church. I believe it's for three reasons. It's to pursue a genuine faith in a real Jesus, It's to pursue genuine relationships with those that are also following after him and as to be genuinely involved in the mission that Jesus has on earth to make himself known in his kingdom. And so for that reason, we at White Ridge Baptist Church believe in our mission statement that we are to make and nurture followers of Jesus Christ through healthy relationship. If we don't have relationship, if we fail at relationship, we fail. If we fail at relationship, we fail. We might be the church with a good facility, wonderful programs for all ages, effective support and recovery groups, super Bible studies, committed pastors and leaders, big budget, many other assets. But if we fail to do relationship genuinely with Jesus and with each other and with the world in a missional way around us, then we fail. We fail what God has called us to do. In this Advent series, we have been fleshing out Christmas. We've been looking at uh, the reality of Jesus Christ becoming a man uh, in this season of time as we celebrate Christmas. And we talked about Jesus who was born through the Holy Spirit, Jesus who is loved by his Father, Jesus who is, is tempted by the devil and overcame, and Jesus, today we talk about how he evidences a genuine faith. Now in our discussion of this, It's always through Jesus' communion with the Father that He is able to do this, that He was able to be born through the Holy Spirit, loved by the Father like He was, overcoming the devil as he did, and then living exactly the kind of faith life that he did perfectly in love with God the Father. And the point that we're making in this Advent series is connected to us, is that we can be born. We can be born through the Holy Spirit, born again because of our union with Jesus Christ. We can be loved by the Heavenly Father because of our union with Jesus Christ, loved in a special way as his own family member. We can overcome the temptations of the enemy. Why and how? Because of our union with Jesus Christ. And we can also live a genuine faith life but only because of our union with Jesus Christ. That is fleshing out Christmas. That is the theme of our Advent series this this year. And it is with that in mind that we continue this morning to talk about how it was that Jesus could live that way. I want to talk this morning about the Lord's prayer life, Jesus' prayer life. I'm going to talk, in fact, about the Lord's prayer. And no, it's not our Father who art in heaven That's what we think is the Lord's Prayer. I'm going to talk about John 17, where we see Jesus pray the longest prayer that we have recorded in Scripture and some things that we learn about his intimacy with the Father. Prayer was so important to Jesus. It says in the Scriptures, very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. This was the habit that Jesus had. It started in this text Mark 1.35 at the beginning of his earthly ministry, but he had been practicing that for so many years already. Jesus prayed when he was growing up. Jesus prayed when he began his ministry. Jesus prayed when he chose his disciples. Jesus prayed when he was tested in the wilderness. Jesus prayed when he was confronting religious leaders. He prayed when he was preaching the kingdom. He prayed when he healed physical illnesses. He prayed when he was confronting demonic forces of evil spirits in people. He prayed constantly because he was in communion with the Father. And so, as we think about this passage in John 17, it is sometimes called his high priestly prayer because in this prayer of intimate communion with God the Father, he mentions us. Jesus actually prays for us. And I'm interested to see and tell you about how he prays for us. Now, the interesting context of John 17 is that it follows chapters 14, 15, and 16. And those three chapters are an unpacking of the conversation that Jesus had on the night, the last night that he shared with his disciples before he was crucified the next day. And in those three chapters, 14, 15, and 16 of John, we see him talk about the Holy Spirit. He talks about what, what it is that will make us one with God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. It is God's Spirit that he is going to send after he is taken up into heaven. And so as we look about this, at this, in John 17, we read in John 17, verse 1, when Jesus had spoken these words, these words about the Holy Spirit and about the importance it is for the believer's life, when he had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and he said, Father, and he began to pray, And the the interesting thing about this prayer is that in this prayer, in this prayer, he is is ultimately concerned that God be glorified through him completing the work that God gave him to do, which was to go to the cross and accomplish redemption so that not one of the ones who follow him and put their faith in Jesus would be lost. That's the goal of Jesus' life and prayer in this scripture. So we have to understand the way Jesus related to the Father if we're going to understand the goal of that prayer. Let's look at John five nineteen. It says in the Scripture, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, that the Son does likewise. If there was ever such a thing as a healthy codependency, this is it. Jesus lived with such oneness, with such union with the Father, that he literally, he said he could do nothing by himself, of his own accord. Now, if you apply that to any other relationship, adult, normal relationship, it it would be called uh, destructive, dysfunctional, and dangerous. But when you apply it to your relationship with God, it is actually dynamic. It is the way we are called to live. It's genuine faith. And what, what Jesus said of his relationship with God the Father, I can do nothing without him, Jesus then turns around and, and earlier in John fifteen five, he says it of us. He says in John 15, 5, I am the vine, you are the branches. Apart from me, you can do nothing. This is the message of Jesus to us, his followers. And um, he is saying, you can do nothing apart from from me. Major Ian Thomas uh, has written, it's amazing how busy we can be doing nothing. But we have to get this message down in, uh, into ourselves that, that apart from him, anything we do apart from faith, apart from depending on him, is nothing. How do we go into this? How do we look at this? Well, let's take a look at how Jesus prayed in uh, John 17. And I'm going to begin with just uh, the first point, and that is that the first thing that Jesus prays near the end of John 17 that I want to highlight today anyway, the first thing he says is that, that we might be one, even as the Father and the Son are one, that we might be one. Let me read to you verse 21 again. Jesus says, O oh God, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us. Verse 22, The glory that you have given me I have given to them, that they may be one even as we are, in, are one. I in them and you in me, that they may be perfectly one. This is an amazing scripture. The important thing to note is that the request of Jesus is not simply make them one on whatever purpose and idea they want. no. There are lots of people on earth that are aligned and in unity and one, but they're actually evil, perhaps, in their alignment or neutral in their alignment. This is the kind of an alignment, a kind of unity and oneness that is based on the Father and the Son's oneness. He says he doesn't just say that they might be one like the Father and the Son are one. He says that, that they would be one with us, with God the Father and God the Son through God the Holy Spirit. We as Christians are united with Jesus in an incredibly deep and even mystical spiritual union, and it is meant to be the engine and the fuel of our faith. And the reason is because the Holy Spirit of God, of Jesus, lives within us, The reason that we would be able to live for God, obey his will, complete his work is all because of him in us. Because apart from him, we can do nothing. The second prayer matter that he lifts up uh, for us is that the world may know Jesus, he says. This cozy little family oneness is not meant to stay there. It's meant to expand, ever expanding into an intimacy that includes other people into this family of believers And so in verse 21, it says that they may be one. Why? So that the world may believe that you sent me. And in verse 23, that they may be one, that the world would know that you've sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Jesus is praying for not only us, that we would be one in him, but also that because of that oneness, Others would see the genuineness of faith and be drawn to Jesus. You see, Christ did not entrust it to our care. He did not treat you and I and trust you and I to put Him on display in the world in a just and fair way. Instead, He actually implanted Himself within us by His Spirit so that He could live in and through us and as us in the world. And so if we take Jesus' prayer seriously, we must understand then that there is a way of living the Christian life that is not genuine, not derived from God's Spirit. There is a way of even serving God and working for Him in His kingdom that is not genuine and not from Him. It is based on our own abilities, not depending on His power and His grace. And it'll Result in nothing, ineffectiveness and inconsequential. Kevin DeYoung says it this way. He says, apart from union with Christ, every effort to imitate Him, no matter how noble and inspired, is is uh, inevitably going to lead to legalism or spiritual defeat. But once you understand the doctrine of union with Christ, you see that God doesn't ask you to attain something that you're not. He only calls you to accomplish what already is and that the pursuit of holiness is not an unrealistic effort to which Jesus called you to. It is the effort to live out the life that he's already given you inside of you that is in Christ. We must know our union. Our union with Jesus is never in jeopardy. That has been sealed through what Christ accomplished on the cross. But our communion with Jesus can be in jeopardy because we can choose to live independently. We can choose to live outside of his grace and power. We can stubbornly refuse to stay in our own wisdom and strength, and it'll accomplish nothing. And then the third prayer that Jesus prays in this end of John 17 is that we might be with Jesus one day. In John 17, it's not just that we might be in him and that he might be in us and that through that the world might come to know. It's even beyond that, that at the end of it all, he's saying that they might be with him. Now, how does he do that? Well, let's let's look at this. In in John 17, verse 5, Jesus says, now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you when? Before the world existed. Incredible thought. Here is Jesus, the Son of God, born of the Virgin Mary, raised in Nazareth, lived his life on earth, about to be crucified, and here on the night before he is to be crucified, as he's about to finish his work on earth, He's saying, Father, I'm I'm completing the work you gave me to do, and I'm ready to come home. But it's not good enough that he's doing that. He he goes on then, and to pray in verse 24, he says, And he says, Father, I desire that they also, who have believed in me, will be with me where I am, and they will see my glory. Like That's pretty amazing, I think. Jesus is saying, Father, I've done what you've asked me to do, and and, and I'm, I'm ready to come home now. But he says, I don't want to come home without them. I desire that they would be with me where I am and see my glory. <laughs> Jesus is committed to not one of us being lost. He wants us to be with him. You know, I like, I like a group. Uh, they were at the Winnipeg Folk Festival a few years back uh, from Alabama, the five blind boys from Alabama. They sing a song. It's called How I Got Over. And, and basically the whole song is about the fact that one day our souls in heaven will look back and, and it'll wonder, our souls will wonder, how I got over. And I believe that's exactly that well, way we're going to feel when we come and step that first step into glory with Jesus, the way he's praying. I want them to be with me to see my glory, I believe that when we get into that glory estate, we're going to look back and say, how did I get over? And it's only because of the intercession of Jesus and the goodness of Jesus and the grace and mercy of Jesus. That's what we will sing. That's what we are going to sing. I'm going to take a little turn here. And I'm going to ask us how to think about how is it that we make this a reality? These three points of how Jesus prays for our oneness, how our oneness is part, uh, uh, with him is part of the very living of the Christian life and how our oneness is part of our testimony to grow the kingdom and that that oneness is going to be realized one day that we're going to actually be with him in glory. I want to say now, how do we work that out? Kind of a strange place to draw an analogy from, but I want you to think about this movie called Pride and Prejudice, the, the book by Jane Austen. And there's a real brilliant uh, point in the, in the story uh, that comes when Jane, the two eldest sisters of the, the Bennett family, the, they're like best friends, but they're opposites, like crazy. And their names are Elizabeth and Jane. And Elizabeth is kind of cynical and contemplative. And Jane is an ever, never an, ever an optimist. She's naively optimistic. She can think of nothing bad to say about anyone. She holds nobody for doing anything wrong. She, she instinctively forgives. She's just got that kind of spirit. And there's this scene at Jane's engagement when the conversation goes like this. Jane says, I am simply the most fortunate creature that ever existed. Oh, Lizzie, why am I thus singled out from the family and blessed above them all? If I could but see you, if I could but see you, Lizzie, as happy, if there was but such another man for you, my sister, she says. And then Elizabeth responds with these words. She says, if you were to give me 40 such men, I never could be so happy as you, Jane, till I have your disposition and your goodness, I can never have your happiness. <clears throat> now that little exchange to me is an illustration of describing what it is that the Christian life is meant to be about. It is not, to, it is not meant to be a trying to imitate and act like Jesus to have genuine faith. It is talking about a deeper and spiritual change, an inside-out change, a change of disposition that comes not from my ability, my nature, my self-orientation heart, but rather from God the Father that plants within me the Spirit of God who guarantees my union with Jesus Christ and makes possible not only a union, but a communion. In all that I do, in all that I do, and all that I can't do in the flesh, He makes available through our communion with Him. Whether it is overcoming a wretched sin that hangs on and is not leaving me, whether it is being quick to forgive when I'd rather hang on to that grudge, whether it is being slow to speak and get angry when I'm quick to do so so often, whether it is a self-oriented smugness that thinks I'm better than somebody else, or whether it is a people-pleasing pride that masks around, Jesus alone can deliver you from that sin. Jesus alone can help you to deal with it. Jesus alone, and every effort you make to try and beat it on your own strength will fail. I picked up the book uh, recently out of my bookshelf, a book I read 25 years ago or so, The Saving Life of Christ by Major Ian Thomas. And um, I want to read to you kind of a testimony that he writes in this book. He was 19 when he wrote this or sorry, he wrote this after that, but he was 19 when this all started in his life. He said that at the age of 19, training at London University to become a doctor in order to serve as a missionary in Africa, I knew that my life as a Christian was ineffective. I did not know of one single soul whom I had been helped to privilege to lead to Christ. I engaged in more than my share of Christian activities and with genuine enthusiasm, but I knew that if I was to be a missionary in Africa, I would be just as useless there. It was out of a deep sense of my own need as I despaired in my Christian life that I made the startling discovery that for seven years, I had missed the whole point of my salvation, that Christ had not died just to save me from hell and one day get me into heaven, but that I might become available to him for him to live in and his life to be lived through me. Let me read that last line. But that I might become available to him for him to live his life through me. You see, we are, we are as Christians, anointed The word Christ means anointed one. And we as Christians are called Christ ones. We're anointed ones. So how are we anointed? And what are we anointed for? We're anointed to be in communion with God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And this communion can be hindered because of a self-centered life, because of a a self-centered deception instead of a Christ-centeredness. We can, we can have union with Jesus, but our communion is destroyed because of this self-deception. Let me share with you an illustration that helps me, and I don't know if this helps you, but it helps me. I want to use an illustration of a door. And I want to suggest that you and I as doors, our are, are Christians are the doors, and Jesus Christ is the door frame. And I want you to notice that it is the door that hangs on the frame and not the, the reverse. The door hangs on the frame, is supported by the frame, and opens according to the frame. It can't be any other way. And faith, in this analogy, is the hinge or the hinges of that door. Faith is that which connects us to Jesus just like door hinges connect to the frame. And without frame, without the faith, I mean, and the hinges, we are unhinged, I could say, and we are disconnected from our reference point. Now, the thing that's strange about this analogy that I'm sharing with you, the thing that's strange about being a Christian is that though we are transported immediately by faith in Jesus Christ into union with God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, we can still live a very fleshly, self-oriented life. It's as though we can take the hinges off the one side of the door and put them on the other side of the door. We take the hinges off the Christ side of the door and put them on the self side of the door. And so we can actually still be related to Jesus, we can still do religious things like pray and read the Bible and go to church, we can still appear as Christian, but we're really, now our reference point is is ourself, not Christ. And so we become self-oriented, no longer acting in communion with Jesus, but looking like we're properly hinged in the Christian life. In the book of Revelation chapters 2 and 3 there's seven churches that are written and many of them had become unhinged in the Christ life and they were living in a self-life and Jesus had to say to them you've you've left your first love. You have an appearance of being alive but you're dead. You're, You're lukewarm instead of hot or cold. How is it that Jesus would describe us? You see I began the sermon by talking about why it is that people begin to go to church and how it is that many of us come to, to belong to a family of believers and, and what purpose is it serving in our lives. And I want you to know that the agenda that God has for us, which church folds into, the agenda that God has is, is to continually unhinge us from the self-oriented life and to hinge us in Christ because apart from him, we can do nothing. And and every day, it'll take place if you are observant of it. It happens in these two little biblical words called repentance and faith. Repentance is the unhinging of the self-life, and the rehinging is faith in Jesus. Unhinging that thought that is, that is harassing you during the day, repenting, turning, and putting in faith in Jesus and rehinging your life on Jesus. This renewal, this unhinging and hinging, is all about what the Christian life is about. You might have to do it several times a day. Oh, how I, how I relate to Israel, who in the wilderness wandered around. You know the crazy thing about it? The crazy thing is, is that they didn't want to get out of Egypt. And when they were in the wilderness, they didn't want to be in, Egypt, in, in the wilderness. And then when Joshua was about to lead them into the promised land, they didn't want to go in the land. You see, that seems to describe my life as a Christian. I don't know if it describes yours, but that's the way I'm often alike. I'm, I'm having to be egged along, dragged along, led along, disciplined along by the Savior. Because I don't naturally go to where his agenda leads me. My natural inclination, and yours too, is the self-hinged life in a religious way, looking like a Christian, related to Jesus. Yes, you're saved. You're going to get to heaven. But as Major Ian Thomas said, his goal in dying on the cross for you isn't just to get you into heaven. His goal is to let his life be lived in you, for you, as you, in this body. That's Jesus calls us to. And that's the message of Christmas. As we flesh it out, as we think about why did Jesus come, we're going to be giving him all the glory, and we're going to be asking for his grace. Would you pray with me as we continue? Lord, I, I pray that you will draw back the curtain of our eyes uh, to see within the deeper things of you, Lord Jesus, to understand that, that you have for us, through our union with you, all that we need to live a genuine faith life. But, oh God, we confess that we're so so drawn back to look back to what it was like in Egypt, to look back to living according to our own self and, and our own ways. Oh God, we are bent that way, but Lord, we know that you're, you're sanctifying us. You're changing us. You're patient with us. And I pray that you might work in us, oh God. We confess the ways that our selfishness gets expressed, and we ask you to give us the discipline of daily repentance and faith that we might live, oh God, the Christ life, that we might see the power of Jesus Christ in us and through us, And Lord, we do that so that the world might believe that you have been sent and that you love them even as you have loved us and that we might see you glorified among us. To that end, we pray in Jesus' name, amen.
4: Praise God for this Savior that he has sent us that has saved us from our lostness and has given us so much and that has, wants to give us so much more than, than what we are even know now uh, in, in Christ. And let's just sing of our Savior together. All glory to you, our Lord Jesus Christ. I thank you for coming to save us. I thank you for continuing to grow us. Lord, we know, every one of us knows what it is like to live a life that is hinged on ourselves. We know what it's like to live a life where we're oriented to what we are trying to do for the glory of us. We know what that's like because we struggle with that all the time. And we also know that it's tiring and that it's exhausting to continue to maintain life in our own strength and for our own self. And we get glimpses that you've shown us as you've been growing us of what it is to live a life that's hinged on you, a life that is... Longing to give glory to you, a life that is pouring out to others for you. Not for our glory, but for yours. And I pray for more of that. And I thank you that we can have more of that because of your son, Jesus Christ. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for all your gifts. And I pray that as we go into this Christmas week, that you would remind us often of the wonder of what you have done out of love for your children pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Have a wonderful day.